liberal elites get triggered by the word freedom and the sight of the Canadian flag, a legacy media organization nominates a fake news story for an excellence award, and the CBC continues to publish incoherent opinion pieces. It's Fake News Friday. I'm Kenneth Malcolm, and this is The Kenneth Malcolm Show. Everyone, thank you so much for tuning in. Welcome to Fake News Friday, our favorite show on the Candace Malcolm Show. We do it every Friday. We do a analysis and we go through the fake news stories in the legacy media, point out all of the various flaws and the ways that they do not uphold their own journalistic ethics. To join me, uh, as usual, we have Harrison Faulkner, who is a producer and journalist here at True North, and a uh Someone who actually went to journalism school, you went to Ryerson, or I think you continue to go there, Harrison. But you can, um, you, you you can you can tell us whether or not these journalists are following the the guidelines that you are taught in journalism school, and whether they actually practice what they preach here. So thanks for joining us. Always happy to be here, Candice. So this is like a reoccurring theme. I think it's just like the latest thing to do on the political left is to talk about how. Freedom is now a word that means something other than freedom, and the Canadian flag is something that we shouldn't feel proud about. We shouldn't see it as, as a sign of, of unity or hope or freedom or any of those kind of things, um, but, but we should all be ashamed of our Canadian flag and our Canadian symbols. Harrison, so, so first I want to talk about this. I, I've heard this so much since the Freedom Convoy. Uh, liberals and leftists sort of wrapping themselves into a pretzel trying to explain how freedom is actually a bad thing. So here we had liberal crony, former CBC talking head, Bruce Anderson. He gets really upset by the word freedom. So here he is on Twitter earlier this week saying that, that the battle cry freedom seems increasingly like a Trojan horse inside our ideas that undermine equal rights, threaten the planet, risk economic chaos, undermine law and order, spirit of community, ability to manage a public health crisis, fact-based news, etc. See, this is how liberals and people on the left justify the fact that they have completely failed to uphold the Charter of Rights and Freedoms over the last two years, Harrison. The fact that they have abandoned the basic tenets of liberalism. Like, these are big L liberals who hate small L liberalism. And, and, and here he lays out exactly the ways that that he sees that that the following things are more important than individual liberty. So he, he thinks that equal rights, uh, whatever that means, probably equity, equal outcome, uh, threatening the planet. So therefore, we should have a, a, a climate strategy that undermines individual liberty, um, risk economic chaos, undermine law and order, spirit of community, and of course, uh, you know, the two main ones that the liberals obsess over these days, ability to manage a public health crisis. So therefore, the government's uh, power to try to manage a public health crisis is more important than individual liberty and fact-based news. All of this was just over, by the way, um, Mark Mulroney, son of former Prime Minister Brian Mulroney, uh, j just tweeted out something about how, hey, if, if you don't like freedom, uh, ignore it. If, if, if you think that a politician's talking about uh, freedom and uh, you, know, you think we're already as free as possible, then ignore it. And then he also said there are no caveats to, to freedom that, that really... Uh, it triggered Bruce Anderson. What did you make of this, Harrison? Well, I just, I just think this is all very, very odd because, again, when when you have these liberal CBC talking heads saying that uh, freedom really is just undermining equal rights and it's threatening the planet, I mean, it's 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 kind of heading in, in a weird direction. And then spirit of community, you've got that collectivism uh, aspect in there too. Um, I really think it's it goes back to one of the themes, Candace, that we've talked about on this show, which is the the elites, the CBC, talking heads, liberals, 
these people want you to try and believe that the word freedom means something different when they say it to when someone that they disagree with says it. So if you are a if you're a working class trucker, for example, when you promote freedom, you're actually promoting this dangerous Trojan horse. But when someone like Bruce Anderson promotes freedom, or when someone like that, when a politician that Bruce Anderson supports talks about the need to uh, protect freedom for Canadians, it means something totally different. So it, there's this there's this contrast of definitions that I think is uh, is very dangerous and very just. It's a very weird. It's it's a weird thing to be to, to witness. It's it's a weird time to be alive when we're having these these weird sort of definitional battles about certain words like freedom. But Candace, it goes it it goes on um, because not only is it is it about freedom. Freedom means two different things when when the right person says it. It it it, it extends to the flag. And there was this incredible Globe and Mail op-ed that was written at the end of March. Um, and, and it was written by an author named John Boyko. And the, the headline of this op-ed is, Recapturing the Flag, Canada is Still Recovering from a Moment of Darkness in Ottawa. And he starts off his, his op-ed by saying that he cringes every time he sees a Canadian flag and how he is repulsed whenever he drives by a rural home waving a large Canadian flag. Notice that language there, Candace. He cringes and he's repulsed by the sight of the Canadian flag. I mean, how do you how do you recover from that? If if that's your if that's your base, if that's your starting point on this, then there's some serious and there's some serious issues you need to solve out because that's just a that's that's that, starting at that point that is that's crazy. And then he goes on to say that he believes that our flag has been captured by those who support the convoy and the negative anti-government, anti-science, anti-democracy population. And you know, uh, I made this point very clear. Sometimes the Laurentian elite will make it very clear to you. They'll 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 spell it out exactly how they want you uh, to read something. And you know, you can't wave the Canadian flag unless you hold the correct political opinions. You're not you're, you're anti-government, anti-science, and anti-democracy if you support the trucker convoy. And lastly, there are limits on your freedom that you have to accept. That's that's exactly what they want you to know. And like I said, sometimes they just make it easy for you. Well, they're kind of saying the quiet part out loud, right? Like, the, here's the idea that that Canada was was always based on this notion of individual freedom, that, that that was the founding principle of our country. We have, you know, Wilfrid Laurier famously said that Canada is free and freedom is our nationality. We're not a country that is based upon one ethnic group. We're not a, a country that's ever been homogenous in terms of our ethnicity, but we are a country that has always rallied around this concept of freedom. Well, interestingly, Harrison, over the last couple of years, the, the liberals have sort of abandoned these uniting principles and united symbols that we've had that they used to take claim over, right? They used like the, the Canadian flag, this this concept of, of, of the chart of rights and freedoms, smaller liberalism, those used to be the brand of the Liberal Party. And as the left is becoming more and more illiberal, as liberals uh, start to feel ashamed and embarrassed of Canada's history, and they want to uh, get away from that, they're embarrassed about it, they, they, they want to fight against it. Uh, we had uh, Carolyn Bennett uh, talking about how Canada needs to decolonize, uh, whatever that means, right? They, they're deeply ashamed of Canada. And and you see it coming out that they don't, you can no longer celebrate freedom. That's bad. Uh, f having individual rights and freedoms, that's not what we want. We have higher priorities now, like like climate change and uh, COVID. Uh, and, and then, you know, the, the Canadian flag, again, it was liberals that created the Canadian flag. We used to have the red ensign. We used to have a British flag. And, and, and they put together this new flag that represented new Canada in the 60s. And now, you know, as soon as conservatives rally around it and use it as a rallying point for freedom, 
they no longer want anything to do with it. So you're right. Uh, just one more tweet here from Bruce Anderson. He replied to Mark Mulroney uh, saying that knowing that conservatives don't want attention drawn to the subtext of the freedom mantra is more reason for people to scrutinize it. Freedom to ignore climate change, to marginalize people of sexual orientation or faith, to avoid paying taxes by hiding money. So again, you know, for all the issues and all the problems that we have in our country, Harrison, this is what the liberals are focused on. They think that the, the, the biggest issues in our country right now are climate change, sexual orientation, and like money laundering or, or hiding hiding money, people hiding money from taxes. Like th these people are so incredibly out of touch. And again, they're saying that there are values that are higher than freedom, which undermines the entire Canadian experiment and also undermines national unity because the good thing about freedom is that you can put your own image of what freedom means. Everyone can have their own idea of freedom. Everyone can have their own idea of Canada and the good life in Canada. And that's one of the great things. Both liberals and conservatives used to rally around this word freedom. And now you see the liberals moving away from it. It's, it's, it's kind of, it's really dangerous territory that they're, that they're bringing us into. And I think that uh, again, when you have one side of the political aisle saying we don't care about freedom anymore, we don't care about the flag, uh, not good news for Canada. There was a, this, this reminds me of this other piece I want to talk about, Harrison. Um, there's an opinion piece in the CBC. Everyone knows my uh, my thoughts and my feelings about how CBC now runs these opinion pieces where rather than just being subsidized to deliver the news, uh, they also get subsidized to deliver certain opinions, which are always the most extreme far-left opinions that you can find. Uh, but here's one. They found this individual who has become a Canadian, so a new Canadian, writing about his experience of going through the citizenship ceremony and, and becoming a Canadian, usually a very happy, celebrated day in a person's life. Uh, usually they've escaped some kind of a, a tyrannical hellhole uh, that they don't want to be in anymore. They're so grateful and so happy to be living in a free and prosperous country like Canada. Uh, well, not this individual. Uh, th this, this guy says, Canada's citizenship process is a problematic piece of political theater. Here's why I did it anyway. And he writes, in the end, I did the Canadian thing. I used my privilege to benefit and protect myself. Now, uh, some viewers know I have a background working in immigration. I used to work in the immigration department, so I'm pretty familiar with the process of citizenship, immigration, the various categories and ways that you can become a Canadian. And so basically we have this guy, he's Australian. He is a writer and author born in Australia, decided to come to Canada. And <laughs> basically what, what he's talking about, he, he has a couple of, of problems with, uh, with Canada. His main thing, he was troubled by just how easy it is for him as a middle-class white Australian compared to those from other countries, particularly agriculture workers. So he assumes, Harrison, that, that part of the reason why he was able to come to Canada and immigrate so easily is because of his skin color, even though that has absolutely nothing to do with how our point systems work. The, the fact that he is an English-speaking person who has work experience in Canada means a lot more. We, we, we are a country, we use a point system. Therefore, uh, you know, if you're young, if you speak English, and if you have experience working in Canada, those are all things that help you uh, to, 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 to meet the qualifications to come to Canada. It has nothing to do with skin color. And when he compares himself to agriculture workers, which he does throughout this piece, he, he fundamentally misunderstands something, which is that 
agriculture workers are temporary workers. They come to Canada on a temporary basis. He, he didn't do any journalism for this piece. This is just solely opinion. He didn't bother talking to the people who he is claiming um, to speak for because he's, he's sort of juxtaposing himself to people who work in the seasonal agriculture worker program or the temporary four worker program. The people who work in those programs, Harrison, opt to come to Canada on a temporary basis. They don't apply through the same stream that he did. They didn't try to become permanent residents. They want to become seasonal agriculture workers. I've spoken to many people who come through the seasonal agriculture program and the temporary foreign worker program. They don't want to become Canadian. The whole purpose is that they come from countries, usually in Latin America, usually people with very strong uh, family ties, Catholic ties, strong ties to their own country. They come up to Canada during the spring and summer to make money. They send almost all of the money back to their kids, their wives, their families back home, and then they go back and they join their families. They have no interest in coming to Canada because if they did, they wouldn't come through this program. So, so the whole idea and the whole motivation behind this program is for these people to make money to send back to their families and then go and reunite with their families. They don't want to become Canadian. So th th this guy just, you know, he makes so many logical mistakes throughout this process. He doesn't know what he's talking about. He's just assuming that he knows everything, which is which is very uh, typical of, of those on the political left. They, you know, he's on his high horse. He, he Everything he sees is problematic. He's very upset that he had to pay $630 to uh, for the citizenship application processing. I, I guess he thinks that Canadian taxpayers should subsidize him as well. Incredibly arrogant, incredibly entitled, no sense of gratitude. He's angry that he has to pledge allegiance to the queen. He's angry. Uh, this is kind of amusing. He says, he's talking about the study material for the citizenship test. He says, the study material uses blanket terms like First Nations to describe hundreds of nations with different languages, cultures, and system of government. So I guess in a, in a basic study guide, Rather than saying First Nations, he wants us to what list list a hundred different nations. Uh, like, how is that going to help anybody study for a citizenship test? The, the, this uh, this guy is just so out of touch with, with with how privileged he is to get to become Canadian. And of course, there's the CBC uh, paying this guy and publishing this total nonsense where he just attacks Canada for no good reason after we have just offered him citizenship. It's, it's really unbelievable, Harrison. Well, exactly, and the uh, in the headline, you know immediately what kind of piece this is gonna this is gonna be, and not only just because it's in the CBC op-ed section, which we know uh, filters out anything that's not a far left opinion, but to to call our our citizenship pro process problematic using a term right out of the left's the left's uh, the, the the left's vocabulary, um, you knew exactly what you were gonna get, but. It's always important to remember, I, it's easy to forget because we see it so often, these, these insane CBC stories, but you pay for these stories to be published. Th these are coming, all of this is coming from Canadian taxpayers. And as you said, Candace, this, this, this Callum uh, character, he takes issue with, the, with, the, with swearing allegiance to the Queen. He takes issue with the fact that our citizenship test requires him to know something about the founder of our country, John A. Macdonald. I mean, what, what, what other citizenship test doesn't require a test about the basics of this country? And if you didn't, if you don't like the, if you don't like swearing allegiance to the, to the queen, uh, to the monarchy, then then leave, then go to the United States. It's very simple. Um, but here's the other thing too: is this this entire piece is just basically designed to bash Canada. So Canadian taxpayers pay for an article that just bashes our system. And I wonder if he bothered to ask anyone else that he took the citizenship test with what they thought about swearing allegiance to the queen, what they thought about the citizenship test, if it was really that big of a deal for them, if they really felt that 
you know, the, the citizenship test was was undermining the role that First Nations play in our country. It, it might be, Callum, that the people you were taking the citizenship test were people who had fought tooth and nail, who would be willing to give up limbs to ensure that they and their family could make it to such a great country like Canada. I, I, I do wonder if, if, if this Callum asked anyone else who took the citizenship test with if they felt proud after the fact, after they became a Canadian citizen, instead of bashing our country right after becoming a citizen, maybe they, maybe they felt proud to be a Canadian. Uh, it's just, it's another, it's another CBC piece. It's another shocking op-ed. And, and frankly, I don't know why, I don't know why the CBC continues to, to publish these Canada bashing articles. At some point it has to end. People have to stop reading it or they have to, they have to come to their senses. It, and, and it's not accurate, like like this idea that that somehow this guy, be, you know, it was easy for him because he was middle class and white. Like there's there's absolutely no data to back that up. That's just that's just a, a, a false accusation against a country, assuming placing the underground assumption that Canada is a racist country, that you get preferential treatment because you're white, which is not true. There's nothing about race or skin color. So he's he's putting that in on his own. He it's, it's basically like a paint by numbers piece. It's like. Uh, I'm super woke, and I found this one institution in Canada that's not woke enough. Therefore, I'm going to write this like lazy, intellectually limited piece complaining about it for not being woke enough. And the CBC is going to publish it. Like it's 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 such a sad state where, <laughs> you know, Canada, Canada is actually pretty lenient. Canada lets a lot of people into the country that we probably shouldn't let in. And when you hear someone like this who is so lacking in gratitude, uh, so spiteful, and obviously not at all loyal or committed to Canada, it's like, yeah, you know what, we should become more stringent in who we let in and who we don't. People who have this kind of attitude should not be able to become Canadian. It reminds me of a couple of years ago during the leadership race for the Conservative Party, one of the candidates... Uh, proposed bringing in a values test uh, for people coming in. I, I assume that this person, with, with all of his hatred and all of his bitterness and, and anti-Canada sentiments, that, that, that he would be the kind of person that would be screened away. And, and, and again, I think the fact that the CBC publishes this nonsense is a total disgrace, Harrison. Well, that's not the only thing uh, that the CBC uh, publishes. I want to jump to this other piece that the CBC wrote about um, in their uh, opinion section. This one is written by a woman called Maria Glavine, and she writes, I'm a new mom trying to keep my baby safe in the pandemic. Anger is my secret weapon. Okay, so here we have a lady who is a new mom, and she is very angry about the end of the vaccine passports and mask mandates, because in her estimation, the only way to keep her child safe is to basically compel the entire Canadian public um, to follow rules that don't make any sense, that didn't actually protect anybody from the pandemic for the last two years, um, that have been abject failures. And yet, uh, because she is an emotional new mom, and anger is her secret weapon, Harrison, she, she believes that everybody should be forced to follow these arbitrary rules. Again, this is the kind of stuff that the CBC publishes, angry, bitter, resentful leftists um, who, who hate freedom, who, who don't care about individual liberty at all, who want to basically bend the world and conform it uh, to, 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 to fit their own needs. What, what did you make of this piece? Well, this piece is absolutely insane, Candace. I mean, when you read through these, when you read through some of these paragraphs, it's 
it's incredible, really. She goes off by saying that everyone should wear a mask for everything, outdoor activities. Given that she was able to wear a mask during labor, that means that people, uh, it, this is a quote from the article, um, that surely people wouldn't mind putting one on to run an errand or two if it meant keeping uh, safe those who couldn't vaccinate or who were the most vulnerable. So there's that. Then she goes on to say that the only way Canada can exit out of the pandemic is if there's a vaccine approved for uh, for those who are under five years old, for so for her, her child, um, then we can lift vaccine passports and mask mandates. Um, and she says that unmasking before having everybody vaccinated um, is uh, is apparently some very dangerous, uh, dangerous thing. And then, of course, she goes on to say that she's only using services that require or enforce mask mandates and vaccine passports. So again, you're never going to see a piece in the CBC that is at all uh, contrary to this. The super hardline stance of everybody must be must follow draconian rules. Those who step out of line are uh, are are these crazies who have a death wish, and we all need to basically, you know fall in line behind the government orders and edicts. Um, uh, it's just, it's it's insane. I don't really have much more to say about this other than that. Well, it's not, it's not just that they don't even believe that they're, that they're crazies with a death wish. They think that they're out to kill you or out to kill, in this case, her, her daughter. Like she even writes, I have to try to balance my daughter's safety and pacifying those who are over it. Again, just trying to compel other people. Look, you're, you're a mom. If you have, the, you have the right to keep your kid at home, you have the right to try to protect your kid in any way you can. And I understand that this woman, uh, her, her daughter has some kind of an auto immune uh, deficiency or, or uh, a bad kidney and that she, she you know she's extra worried and cautious about it. I, I totally relate to that I have two little kids and obviously your role as a parent is to do everything you can to protect them um, however th- th- this idea that you know well first of all she's writing a piece in the CBC about how angry she is that's that's not exactly a productive solution uh, to this issue but she's clinging to these methods that we know fail like wearing masks doesn't do anything, doesn't stop the spread, okay? The, the, the best way that you can protect your kid is is actually to help build up their immune system, get them outside, get them interacting with other kids. Uh, you know, that that's how you, that's how for generations, uh, for centuries, that's how we built up children's immune system. So this idea that we're going to just wrap ourselves into like a plastic bubble and stay away from everybody, not gonna, not gonna turn out well in the long run. And again, this is just the kind of drivel uh, that we see yeah. And the CBC. And and Candace, I one one thing as well, you know, I kind of feel bad for some of these people because they have been they have been duped into being so afraid of this and it's not their fault. I mean, how many people do have you interacted with that are very scared about COVID? They're 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 paying attention to the, the latest wave, looking at all the all the numbers and, and and worrying about their their health and safety and their family's health and safety when it's it's overblown really uh, they they don't need to be as afraid as they are but these people have been have been you know whether it's whether it's they've been duped or whether they've been they've been pushed into it a lot of people um, even today who still wear double masks who are afraid to touch public services I mean that is that is something that are we're gonna have to reckon with. Uh, going into the future, years past this, are we to believe that all these people who are so afraid of this virus that in several years from now they're not going to they're not going to have some of that some of that same uh, concern, some of that same fear? I think I think you know we have to really come to terms with the fact that 
the mental health that has you know been damaged across the board, it's taken a toll uh, on both sides. People don't want to be stuck in lockdown, but other people are have, be, have been conditioned to be so afraid of this virus that I think we're gonna have to we're gonna have to deal with this um, in the future, and it's gonna become a, a part of a part of how we end up dealing with things like regular flus and and different illnesses. I think it's I think it's kind of sad in a way too. I agree. And you're right. We should, we should uh, see, see these kind of cases with, with compassion and recognize that we have to figure out a plan to get everyone out. It's, it's funny. I, just reading this piece, again, for me, I, I also have little kids. And I had the exact opposite instincts as this lady. This lady is like, uh, you know, I'm so afraid of COVID. I don't know what the long-term consequences of COVID are. Therefore, I'm going to do everything to like again, wrap my child in bubble wrap and keep them safe. For me, uh, I, for my, my perspective was, okay, what we see about COVID is that it doesn't really impact little kids. They, they, my, my son had COVID, he's three. Uh, he, he had like a sore throat for a day and then he was fine. Uh, sure, I don't know what the long-term impact is, but I also don't know what the long-term impact of keeping kids isolated from uh, their friends and peers, that, that was not something I was willing to do. Uh, I, the, the, the long-term impact of making little kids wear masks is insane, and we know that it will have long-term impact in their ability to communicate, their ability to socialize, all these things that when you, know, when you have a little taller, that's what you're trying to do is get them out to meet other people. So you know, there's, there's the adverse side of this as well, and this idea that we should rush to get little babies and little kids vaccinated. Uh, well, what about the long-term impact of vaccines? We don't know that as well, especially this vaccine, because it's novel and it's new. So, you know, my, my instinct are almost exactly the opposite of this woman. I, I wanted to make sure my kids still had some kind of a semblance of a normal childhood, that they could still go and play, that they could go to parks, they could spend time outside, they could spend time with other kids. I go out of my way to make sure that the kids have play dates, that they interact with people, that they see the world, that, that it's not always just this like strange, uh, you know, everyone wearing masks and everyone's so distant from each other. Um, you know, I want to make sure my kids have a normal life. And it's, it's, it's sort of sad that, that some people are so wrapped up and paranoid with fear that they can't they can't offer that to their kids. And then again, the CBC is out there promoting this worldview to try to say, no, no, it's normal for you to just try to completely isolate your child and not let them be around anyone, not let them see anyone, and just be counting the days until they have a vaccine available for a zero-year-old baby. Like, it's, it's pretty wild. Okay, Harrison, I do want to get to this one final story because it's fake news wrapped in fake news. Um, True North reported on this a couple weeks ago that this journal journalist organization won't retract a false statement about a pipeline protest arrest. So basically the uh, the, the, the Canadian Association of Journalists, which bills itself as a national voice for Canadian journalists, printed a statement, statement in November accusing the police of making an illegal arrest. So there was this reporter that worked for an outlet called The Narwhal, who was part of an anti-pipeline protest. Basically, this so this happened back in November in northern British Columbia. There was a group of unlawful people who were uh, un unlawful protesters who were ignoring police orders. They were they locked themselves up in a cabin protesting against a pipeline. Ended up getting arrested. One of the people, one of the protesters, it turns out, was a journalist who wrote about her own story. So 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 even though she was part of the protest, part of the people who got arrested, uh, she wrote about it, which I, I always thought that that was sort of unethical. I mean, you're the one that went to journalism school. Maybe you can comment on that. But she, she, she wrote about it herself. Uh, unfortunately, the facts that she got didn't 
uh, didn't line up with with what actually happened. The RCMP put out their own report. The department in uh, the government department put out their own report, basically refuting facts from her news piece. And and so not only did the Narwhal, which is a government funded news organization, far left focused on environmental uh, catastrophe, uh, climate alarmism, all those kind of themes. Um, so, so so they wrote a piece that was fake. The Canadian Association of Journalists. Uh, applauded them and put out a statement condemning the police in it. And then it gets even worse, Harrison, because now the Canadian Journalism Foundation is is, is offering them an award. They gave them, an, uh, they nominated them for an excellence award for this same piece that has been refuted and debunked by the RCMP and by a government uh, report. Uh, th this shows how wildly out of touch these people are. Like they can report something that didn't happen, that is totally made up, pretend that there was police brutality involved, pretend that they were illegally arrested. And not only are they allowed to publish it with no consequence when it turns out to be fake, they actually get awards. They, they're awarding, giving themselves awards and patting themselves on the back. This is, this is one of the most uh, remarkable stories I've seen in a while, Harrison. Well, when I first read this, I have to admit, I thought this was a troll. I thought it was I thought it was them trolling uh, the RCMP and basically everyone else because of just how ridiculous it is to award themselves an excellency in journalism award for uh, basically a story uh, in which the journalist who inserts herself as an activist into the story makes it all about her perspective uh, and of course she makes it out to seem like she's this hero like she's this uh, very brave. Um, you know, activist who's fighting back against the RCMP, and I just want to get into some of the some of these things that I, I told about this article because it's really it's really ridiculous. And first, you you talk you chatted about the ethics behind putting yourself in the story and being an activist. I can tell you that in in modern journalism school, the the expectation is that you believe as a journalist you play a role as an activist. I remember just as as an uh, as an example. One of the papers they asked us to write was to dis was to basically defend journalists being activists. Can a journalist be an activist? Was the prompt of the art of the essay they had us write. But just just so we're just so we're clear on this, the Canadian Association of Journalists, which was were the original uh, the the original organization to defend this journalist after being caught lying essentially in her piece, their their uh, their ethical their, their code of ethics states very clearly that they do not allow their own biases to impede fair and accurate reporting. Accuracy is the moral imperative of journalists. When we make a mistake, whether in fact or in context, and regardless of the platform, we correct it promptly and in a transparent manner, acknowledging the nature of the error, Candace. So I don't know how that code of ethics fits in with awarding themselves a excellency in journalism uh, award after being called out. Uh, but again, you, you'll never see the CAJ or the CJF, the two organizations um, that are obviously just activist organizations masquerading as, as journalism uh, entities or those that, that defend journalists. You'll never see them defend journalists that are actually uh, in the, that are actually have their rights stripped from them or are, uh, or are impeded by the government. For example, our own Andrew Lawton, who was pepper sprayed at the Freedom Convoy protest. I didn't, I didn't hear anything uh, from them about defending Andrew and defending journalists like Andrew and Alexa Lavoie from Rebel. Did you? I, I, I didn't, didn't make it across my desk. No, of course not. They don't care about uh, journalists who work for Canadian organizations. They only care about their own, mostly government-funded, mostly far-left, agenda-driven 
activists here. I mean, this this woman was illegally, uh, they were occupying private property and prevent, preventing people from doing their job. They got arrested. She didn't identify herself as a journalist. She didn't say that she was there covering the story. The police had no idea. They just arrested all the protesters after giving them ample warning, saying, you guys have to leave. You have to get out. Enough with your protests. It's time for these people to be able to go to work. And, 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 and it was writ written right here. Bracken was detained by police and her ensuing report, which a federal memo found was one-sided and omitted key information, led to the arrest being labeled as unlawful by the journalists. So to your point, Harrison, when you make a mistake, this woman, it wasn't a mistake, right? She, she knew what happened. She left out key information on purpose. But you could, you could say, okay, the Canadian Association of Journalists didn't know that. So when they issued the statement saying, you know, condemning the police for this unlawful arrest, uh, they, they, they didn't have the full picture. Well, then, then the full picture did emerge. You would expect the CAJ to reverse and, and, and say, okay, we made a mistake. We didn't have the full information. To your point, that's, that's the that's the duty of a journalist to focus on accuracy and truth. But here we see that you know they put they put their uh, they put their ideology and their belief in the, in the righteousness of these anti uh, natural resource development protesters. Um, and and then it is kind of a troll because they doubled down by nominating it for an award. Why would you nominate that for an excellence awards? These these people are just so out of touch, Harrison. They're so they have no idea what the public wants. They have no idea how bad they look. No wonder people trust the media less and less. It's like how can you trust these people? They, they they're 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 congratulating themselves for lying essentially. Yeah, and I want to read some of this excellent reporting. I mean, remember this report was. It was nominated, and, and this is this is what was in the report. Just so just so we're all aware, uh, this this journalist writes: No one in Canada should tolerate police efforts to intimidate journalists or limit news coverage. My arrest actually makes me a big part of a national reckoning with press freedoms. So again, just inserting herself and making her part of the story, making her the hero. She goes on to say: Police put me in handcuffs when I should have been doing my job. I felt kidnapped. Having never been arrested before, it is the best word I can think of to describe being taken so abruptly out of my life and work in violation of Canadian charter rights, protecting freedoms of the press. Oh no, her charter rights. Almost as if, Candace, uh, the charter rights of journalists uh, were severely violated as well in the Freedom Convoy. Uh, but again, you just don't hear that. There, it's, it's not, it, there's, there's no equal standard, right? The charter rights were not violated. This journalist's charter rights were not violated. She refused police orders to leave an unlawful protest. Journalists at the Freedom Convoy who were arrested for covering the news, who were pepper sprayed, who were, uh, who were beaten by batons, those journalists had their charter rights violated. That's the truth. We saw it all on camera. It's just unbelievable. And, and again, like you said, it, it has to be a troll, right? I mean, this, this, this has to be a joke that they're playing on us. And also, like, just because you're a journalist doesn't exempt you from laws, right? Like, if you're part of a, a protest that, that the police are saying, you can't do this anymore, we've given you ample warning, you now have to be removed. It, it, unless you identify yourself as a journalist, like, it's not like RCMP just magically know who is a journalist and who isn't, who's going to go write an opinion piece for an, art, uh, an outlet called the Narwhal, which no one's ever heard of. 
like you have to identify yourself as a journalist and that's what Andrew Lawton and Alexa Dwar did during their during that it's on video they identify themselves as being journalists and yet they're still brutalized but of course no word from the Canadian Association of Journalism uh, on those assaults nothing at all we don't fit into the mold of 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 a good leftist journalist who gets government funded so so we don't get the same treatment it's it's all such a farce such a sad state of journalism here in Canada well that's that's the whole purpose of this show on fake news Friday so thank you so much for tuning in Harrison thank you so much for joining us happy to be here always Right, that's Harrison Faulkner. It's Fake News Friday. I'm Kenneth Malcolm, and this is The Kenneth Malcolm Show.